All right, we are in Nahum chapter 2. Nahum chapter 2. Chapter 1, we saw God as the good and jealous judge who has good news for Judah. And now here in chapter 2, we're going to see Nineveh's judgment is described. Where God is going to foretell what's about to fall upon Nineveh. Uh, and this is going to be in two, two little sections here. So verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. The wave of judgment falls upon Nineveh. The wave of judgment falls upon Nineveh. And then verses 11 through 13. The word of judgment spoken over Nineveh. A word of judgment spoken over Nineveh. So a wave of judgment and a word of, of judgment. Now, let's, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 10, and then uh, we'll go back and, and, and look at it here. Nahum 2, verse 1. The scatterer has come up against you. Man the ramparts, watch the road, dress for battle, collect all your strength. For the Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob as the majesty of Israel. For plunderers have plundered them and ruined their branches. The shield of His mighty men is red. The soldiers are clothed in scarlet. The chariots come with flashing metal on the day He musters them. The cypress spears are brandished. The chariots race madly through the streets. They rush to and fro through the squares. They gleam like Torches, they dart like lightning. He remembers his officers. They stumble as they go. They hasten to the wall. The siege tower is set up. The river gates are open. The palace melts away. Its mistress is stripped. She is carried off. Her slave girls lamenting, moaning like doves and beating their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool whose waters run away. Halt, halt, they cry, but none turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. There is no end of the treasure or the wealth of all the precious things. Desolate, desolate and ruin, hearts melt and knees tremble. Anguish in all the loins, all faces grow pale. Here in these ten verses, we see a wave of judgment that is coming upon Nineveh. What we've just read here is a description of the overthrow of the city in kind of a, a progressive stages. Uh, that, that starts on the outside and moves up to the wall, and then they get inside and plunder the, the city. This event took place in, on August in August of the year 612 B.C., when a coalition of Babylonians, Medes, and Scythians sieged Nineveh. And then they began the attacks that would soon make her, Nineveh, a forgotten city. God is foretelling in vivid, poetic description about the downfall and how it's going to go. Okay, so let's go back and look at it. Chapter 2, verse 1. The scatterer has come up against you. Man the ramparts, watch the road, dress for battle, collect all your strength. So the scatterer here is the Babylonian king 
who came with uh, the, the Mede, Medo king and a couple other uh, people who had come together with this, this coalition to conquer Nineveh. And God basically is mocking Nineveh here. He tells them to, to man the walls, keep your eyes on the road, get your battle gear on, drink some Gatorade, because you're about to enter into battle. And it's going to be the battle of your life. And all of Nineveh's efforts are going to prove futile in this battle. Because God has set Himself against her. And, when, and if God is for you, who can be against you? But if God is against you, don't matter who's for you. God has set Himself against Assyria, and He is going to be using this coalition of other evil nations to devour this evil empire. Which is one of the amazing things when you read through the Bible. You see God's sovereignty. He does with nations and empires and civilizations what we do with spoons. And like He's able to move them sovereignly to complete uh, and, and com- yeah, fulfill His perfect purposes. Well, verse 2. He tells you why He's doing this. For the Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob as the majesty of Israel. For plunderers have plundered them and ruined their branches. Assyria was known for a lot of things, but one of the things they were known for was plundering. When they would attack a city, what's it, what's it mean to, to plunder? Yeah, go in and rob the bank, right? You want to take all their goodies. Well, this is what they did. They would sack They would sack a town or a city and they would go in and they would kill people and they would strip the jewelries and go in homes and just take all the treasuries and all of this kind of stuff. They had sacked Israel and stolen many of her treasures. Along with that, they had also been um, taxing her and all this kind of stuff. So they had had a lot of, of money and stolen her treasures. And God says to Israel, the plunderers will be plundered. He's going to return their evil on their head. Now, while God is bringing down Nineveh, He is lifting up Israel. Now, again, what is going to happen here is this is not going to be a complete and total restoration because soon enough, Judah is going to be taken away in judgment by Babylon. But the judgment on Nineveh is going to serve as a a glimpse of of the kind of salvation that God is ultimately going to bring through the ministry of Messiah. So, if God can take down Assyria, you can bet your biscuits He can do it to Babylon and Greece and Rome and every other who is and whatever who's going to come against you. God can take them all down. So what they're supposed to see here is this power of the Almighty God who can take down Assyria and they'll have hope that God will ultimately restore. Verse 3, the judgment is described. The shield of his mighty men is red. His soldiers are clothed in scarlet. These attacking soldiers here are covered in the blood of the Assyrians. Once, historically, once the Babylonians breached the wall, they mercilessly struck down the Assyrians. There was blood everywhere. They were... They, it was, a, it was a great loss for Nineveh. 
Verse 3, again, the chariots come flashing with metal on the day He musters them. The cypress spears are brandished. The chariots race madly through the streets. They rush to and fro through the squares. They gleam like torches. They dart like lightning. He's describing this madness that's going to unfold inside the city. The gates are going to come down and the streets will be filled with chariots that are set on fire. Now, notice they're talking about the spears. One of the Assyrians' favorite things to do was to use spears. And what they would do with them is after they would capture people, is they would impale their, um, their captives through, the, through right here. They would put it up through there and they would, they would hang them and impale them like that and leave them to die. This is one of their favorite things to do. They would have spears and line them up and just set them in front of the, either they would either do it in their own cities as a way of bringing home, you know, as, as sport, or they would do this in front of the cities that they had just defeated. Well, God says, you, you like spears? Well, there's spears coming for you. God's bringing this back upon them. The spear is turned on them. Verse 5, he remembers his officers. So this is like, he's, he's a, a I think what he's doing here is he's, he's talking about the Assyrian king or general who is now inside the city and he's responding to what's happening. He remembers his officers. They stumble as they go. They hasten to the wall. The siege tower is set up. So a siege tower was one of the trademarks of, of Assyrian conquests. What they would do is they would circle up around a city, cut off water, cut off electricity, which they didn't have, cut off food, and you basically are going to weaken the city so you can just go in and take them, no, no problem. Well, this is what had happened to Nineveh. They were surrounded by this coalition. And what this guy says here is, oh no, they're building a siege tower. A siege tower is a tower that was built on the outside of the wall by the incoming um, army so that they could climb up and go over the wall. This, this king is, is saying, oh no, they've got the siege tower. Quick, to the wall, take it down, is basically what he's saying. Well, now the siege tower is being used against them. The Assyrian king here is, is ca- crying out to his officers to help stop the attack. Verse 26. This is very interesting. 2-6. The river gates are opened. The palace melts away. This is amazingly prophetic. So, um, Nineveh, if you look at your, your little hand out there, one of the things you'll notice about it, I mean, it was an amazing city. You see that river that ran through it? This was one of the glories of, of Nineveh. They had this well-watered city with this beautiful river that, that flowed through it. And there was a famous oracle that went something like this, that Nineveh shall never be taken until the river becomes its enemy. Because the river was always its glory. Well, sure enough, when God brought judgment on Nineveh, one of the things that happened, so after about three months of the siege going on, they were trying to get into the wall, they just couldn't do it, nothing was going, and then all of a sudden, these torrential rains came. I mean, unprecedented rains came. And what it did was it filled the river to such a point that the wall that it flowed underneath started to get undercut and undermined, and down came a huge section of the wall and several of the gates. 
It was how the city was penetrated. One account read, After a three-month siege, rain fell in such abundance that the waters of the Tigris inundated part of the city and overturned one of its walls. That's one of the accounts from what happened. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 8, With an overflowing flood, He will make a complete end of the adversaries. God's sovereign even over rain. He can send abundant rains to go ahead and, and help seal the deal in the fate of His enemies. It opened the way for Nineveh's downfall. Well, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, its mistress is stripped. She is carried off. Her slave girls lamenting, moaning like doves and beating their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool whose waters run away. Halt, halt, they cry, but none turns back. One of the things that, uh, that the Assyrians were known for were were the, the brutal things that they would do to women whenever they would pillage a city. And I, I won't describe that for you, but you can, you can imagine the, the brutal things that, that they would do. And he, it's like he's saying, this is happening back to you. This verse 8, speaking of the, the pool whose waters run away, halt, halt, they cry. I think the description is, is, is yes, Nineveh was flooded literally, but I think also metaphorically, the picture here is of, of people spilling out of the city like water overflowing something and trying to run and get away. And it's like people in the city are calling, Cole, come back, come back, come back. But they won't. They're running for their lives, I think is the picture of what's happening here. Chapter 2, verse 9. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. There is no end of the treasure or of the wealth of the precious things. Desolate, desolate and ruined Hearts melt and knees tremble. Anguish is in all loins. All faces grow pale. So the amount of silver and gold that Assyria had amassed is almost inconceivable. Remember, they've been running this show for like 2,300 years. And they have been, I mean, 23, centuries upon centuries of taxing and taking and tributes from other people that they oppressed, allowed them to collect really an incalculable wealth. But in an instant, it's gone. In an instant, it's just taken away. And this idea here, their faces grow pale. The Assyrians are in utter shock. So what God's done here is prophetically, through Nahum, He's described beginning with these soldiers on the outside, um, moving into the wall, plundering the place because the, the, the wall gets knocked down. They come in, they plunder, and all you've got, you've got these chariots driving around in there. It's an absolute mayhem. This is the, the wave of judgment that comes upon Nineveh. She will be taken down. Now, I'll pause there. Do you have any questions about, about that? There's much more historical stuff that we could read. I commend that study to you. There's lots written out there, some really good resources. I'm, I'm not going to take the time to read all kinds of uh, substantiating articles in this, but, but this is a well-known event that happened, and you can find it really anywhere. So, yeah. Just a few years ago, Mosul was plundered by ISIS. Mm-hmm. Came in, but took all the money from the banks. Yep. Yeah. So, so ISIS, who, who acted very much like these people, did the same sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. 
It's a great question. I'm unsure. I'm unsure. So the question was, did, did, the, did the Ninevites hear this, or was this just for Judah? I'm unsure. I mean, if I'm guessing, it's delivered first to Judah, it's written down, and then Nineveh probably got their hands on it. But that would be complete speculation. Yeah. Yeah. Same people. All right, now we're going to hear the word of judgment spoken over Nineveh. So we had a wave of judgment coming upon them, and now there's a word of judgment spoken over them. Chapter 2, verse 11. 11 and 12, actually. Where is the lion's den? The feeding place of the young lions, where the lion and the lioness went. Where his cubs were, with none to disturb. The lion tore enough for his cubs and strangled prey for his lioness. He filled his caves with prey and his dens with torn flesh. Now go ahead and read 13. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall not be heard. Now, Assyrian kings loved the image of lions. So one of their gods was personified as a lion with wings. And you can see in like the British Museum, there's all kinds of artifacts about this kind of stuff. And you can, you can, you can find these pictures online um, in regards to some of these, these images of the lion. Um, so they love this image of the lion. They, they're, they're, the artwork in their palaces and in their throne rooms were, were filled with with carvings and paintings and statues of lions. And the reason is because of the fierceness of lions. Lions are the king of the jungle. Well, they viewed themselves as the kings of the world. The Assyrian, that's how the Assyrian kings viewed themselves as the lion of the world. Listen to a couple quotes from some of their, some of their kings. I am Ashurbanipal, the great king, the mighty king, the king of the universe, king of Assyria, the great gods. Magnify my name. They made my rule powerful. Another king. I am powerful. I am all-powerful. I am hero. I am gigantic. I am colossal. I am honored. I am magnified. I am without equal among all kings. Like a lion I raged. God's in heaven just being like, you know, but this is how they viewed themselves. They viewed themselves as, I mean, they would, one of the things that they prided themselves in, uh, and you can see this whenever you look at some of the, the Babylonian um, or, or Assyrian uh, sculptures, is they, they would have lions as pets. Like they would, have them, they would have them in cages and they would have them around. They loved lions. They would go out hunting lions. This was a thing they did, all right? But now the king is brought low, and God is in there mocking. How's it going, lion guy? How's that going in your den over there? How's that lioness and your cubs? You got enough to eat? Uh-uh. Because God is, <laughs> the lion of the tribe of Judah has got something else to say about this. This king has been brought low. This lion has kept, or has ceased his roaring. The liars now will be empty. 
What happened? Well, verse 13, Behold, I am against you. That's what happened. The only thing you can take out a lion is a bigger lion. Well, the Lord is against you, declares the Lord. That, by the way, is quite possibly one of the most terrifying phrases in the Bible. I am against you. For the Almighty God, creator and sustainer of the universe, to set His affection upon you is one of the sweetest things imaginable. But for Him to set His opposition against you is one of the most terrifying things imaginable. And this is what He says He has done here for, the, for Nineveh. The voice of your messengers shall be no longer heard. Now, again, a little bit of speculation here. So, messengers, I mean, not, not total speculation, but hold on. So, so, messengers, what they would do is they would bring the message of the king, and they would come and they would announce to a city that they're about to destroy, hey, it's about to be bad for you. So, you've got a couple options. One, you can just surrender and come with us. That'd be a good idea. Or two, we're going to seed you, you're going to eat your dung, and you're going to die. Any takers? That's basically what they would do. Now, in the Bible, we see Assyria do this. We see them come, and there was a a particular guy who came from Sennacherib, who came as one of these messengers. He's pretty full of himself. Uh, anybody remember his name or what he was called? He was called the, one of the coolest names in the Bible, one of the coolest titles. I heard it over here. He's the Rabshakeh. If there's some way to name your kid that, just, I mean, I mean, it was not really, but you know what I'm saying. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great, he's the Rabshakeh. I don't know why I just think that's an awesome name, but he was not a good dude. Um, but in 2 Kings chapter 18, um, he comes from Sennacherib, uh, and came to announce the siege on Jerusalem. And he taunted them. And at first he's out there and he's talking to them. And uh, the, 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 the king says, or the prophet says to him, whoever he was talking to, I forget now, says to him, hey, listen, don't, could, you not, could you not say that in our language? And he says, why would I not say this in the language before all the people who are going to be drinking their urine and eating their feces? And uh, he's like, oh boy. And then he goes off on this rant, and this is what he says. This is the Rabshakeh, the messenger, whose voice was being heard. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 28. Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out a loud voice in the language of Judah. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, Oh, the Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat of his own vine, and each one of you will eat his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own. A land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, and a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. Do, do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, 
The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his hand, uh, yeah, his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Hena and Ibnan? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands has delivered their lands out of my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. I mean, he is straight up talking noise about Israel and Israel's God here. Now, for me, when I read this section, it's one of the more intimidating things. Imagine being sieged by the most invincible army imaginable. And you've got this guy spouting off about how you're about to be, uh, you're about to die unless you surrender. And Hezekiah has this word from the Lord where he's supposed to go out and be like, trust God. God's faithful. Can we play great as I faithfulness now? Like, we need this. Like, that's, that's how it feels in the face of these, these lions who are surrounded them. But do not be deceived. God delights in glorifying Himself through weakness. He, he does it all the time. And you know what? God delivered them in this instance, here in 2 Kings chapter 18. They got word that, oh, something went bad back home. We'll be back, see ya, and everybody peaced out and left. God can do that. Right? It says guys like that are, yeah, God says guys like this, they are done talking noise. I will silence the blasphemy of the Assyrians. Now, as Israel would hear this, what might this do for, for, for Judah? What what, what might this have done for Judah as they hear God talking about Nineveh in this way? Both the wave of judgment and the word of judgment. What do you think this would have done for them? Convict them them how? By making them turn from their ways. Okay, good. So it it could help to purify them. Good. Mm -hmm. What else? Oh, okay, so potentially, yeah. So it, it, could make them, it could make them self-righteous and be like, hey, we're doing all right. At least we're not like them. Okay, get the Jonah syndrome. Good. Huh? Yeah, it, it could make them fear and tremble and say, wow, this God is great and glorious. Yeah, they could have harked them back to chapter 1, that they have a refuge. That you know what? This God, there is a weighty oracle this great burden that's coming, but in the midst of it, there's such a sweet, sweet comfort for His people to trust that if a God can shut down an empire like that, He can care for His people. And this is the refuge that God's people are always called to run to. Christ Himself, to run unto Him who is our refuge in times of trial. What questions do we have about chapter 2 before we take one more break and then jump into chapter 3? Yo. He was a good guy. Good king. I mean, not perfect, but he was a good king. Towards us, and it's 
Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. He's not safe lion, but he's a good one, right? So you can, you run to him, right? It's good. Somebody should write a book about that. Um, <laughs> it's Chronicles of Narnia reference in case you weren't. It's okay. Let's take our final break, and then we'll come back for chapter three.